Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning which you have given and ways in which your word can be shared so that all the things that you did through your son when he was here in flesh and blood and feet and hands, the voice to speak, so that all those things would be written so that we may believe. We thank you that Though we have not seen him with our own eyes, we have heard the testimony of those who did, and that you have given us faith to believe without seeing, and to know that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you have given us eternal life. Guard our hearts and minds at this time, remove distractions from us, that we may be able to hear your word and trust in all that you give. In your Son, Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. So that you would believe. I'm going to ask you a question. What would it take? What would it take for you to believe? And what will it take for you to believe? Think of this time right now with all the things that are going on, with pandemic going on throughout the world, with folks who are sick, with folks who are dying, with social distancing things going on, with being locked in our homes for the most part, however we want to look at that situation, what will it take for you to believe when the reports come out that it's okay to go back outside, that it's okay to go to the market without gloves and a face mask, when it's okay to go swing on swings and slide down slides and walk on the beach, go surfing again, and be in community with other people, what will it take? For you to believe that that time truly is happening. Will it, it simply take numbers and reports? Will it take some time to trust, to slowly move back into things, to go about life in maybe a different way? Maybe your trips to the market are forever changed. Maybe you tend to start keeping space from people for quite some time. Maybe these times are going to shape you in a way to where some of the habits don't really go away. But what will it take to fully trust, to fully believe that this time of being overwhelmed by this virus is done, is, comes to be a point where it's like no other flu or no other virus that we deal with. It just becomes common and it becomes regular and it becomes just a part of Daily life, what will it take for you to believe that it's over, that it's accomplished, that it's, this time has been productive and fulfilled? These questions of belief always land differently for each person. I mean, some are raring to go to get back out, to get back into daily life and are ready to do it now. And others, it may take several months. But at some point, at some point it will be done. In our gospel reading today, we hear of a few times actually of disbelief. If you were to read back just a little bit before our reading, where Mary goes to the tomb in the twilight of the morning. I know that sounds weird. We usually talk about twilight in the evening. But this, this middle time between dark and light where Mary goes to the tomb expecting to see Jesus in the tomb and doesn't. 
She doesn't quite know what to do with it. And she turns around and there's a guy standing there and she falls at his feet and says, if you have taken him somewhere, would you please tell me? She doesn't quite believe, even though she's holding on to her Lord right there in that presence. And it took something beyond her ability to be able to believe. Jesus calls her by name, speaks to her individually. His word brings some belief. She runs to the disciples who are locked in the upper room in that morning, and they're trying to figure out what's going on together for fear and other things. And that morning time, as they're gathered together, she runs in and says, I've seen the Lord. And they said, uh-huh, yeah, right, sure. Sure you did. We know you went to the tomb, Mary. I'm sure he was there. She says, no, he's risen. He's not there. And they said, uh-huh. And they didn't believe. Even running to the tomb and seeing that he wasn't there. John mentions a belief. Peter walks away in some confusion. They go back to their own homes. And then even that night, as they're all gathered together, again, in the darkness, in the uncertainty of what is going on with doors locked and windows locked, huddled together, for fear of what might happen to them, for fear of what it might mean for Jesus to be alive, for fear of what's going on in the confusion of their state of not believing things, Jesus steps in, shows up, pops into the room, right? Shows up in completely unexpected ways. And his first words get to the heart of what it means for him to be risen. His first Words in the middle of their unbelief. His first words are peace. Peace be with you. The peace that I have won before God and creation. The peace that I have won before my Father and His creation. That peace be with you. And then, breathes on them, right? breathes on them because even in the midst of that declaration of peace and even in the midst of all of those things, there isn't quite a full understanding of things until Jesus gives it meaning and purpose, until he is there and opens their eyes by breathing upon them the Holy Spirit and breathing upon them vision, an opening of their hearts, an opening of their understanding, an opportunity at this point, in this moment for them to fully believe, and see. Because it wasn't just that they needed to believe that he was risen from the dead. They had seen that. They had seen Lazarus rise from the dead. There were those who were raised from the dead when Christ died at the crucifixion. There was that little resurrection that went on. They had seen dead bodies come to life. But those dead bodies had usually come to life by the power of Jesus' presence. The bigger question that they had to wrestle with, the bigger question that Thomas had to wrestle with is not just Jesus is alive, but how and for what purpose? What does it mean that he's alive? What does the heart of all of that entail? You see, as those disciples hear that word of peace, as they receive that Holy Spirit from Jesus himself, he sends them out. Just as the Father had sent him, so he is sending the disciples to bring forgiveness, to speak forgiveness into people's lives, to 
know that all that Christ had done for them was not simply for him to resurrect from the dead and be a king on earth, but that he has won victory over death and that he brings salvation and he brings eternal life. And Thomas wasn't with him to hear that from Jesus. Thomas was somewhere else in that first gathering of disciples. And so as Thomas gets the word from the disciples, he too doesn't believe. His words are kind of a summation of everything that the disciples had felt, everything that Mary had felt in their initial unbelief. And he's in no different state than they are basically looks at the guys who are reporting to him, looks at the other disciples and says, hey, when pigs fly, yeah, that's fine, I'll believe. This is so outside of anything that makes any sense. I understand he could be risen from the dead, but by his own power? But more than any of that, what does it mean that he's alive? Does it mean we go back to wondering what the kingdom's going to look like? Or does it mean something more? Does it mean something more for him to be alive? Has he done something greater than any of us could ever imagine? And then Jesus shows up again, fully knowing of everything that's going on, fully knowing of what Thomas's concerns were, what Thomas's rejections to that report of the Easter resurrection was. And he says, Thomas, look. I'm back. I'm back with you. Everything that took me to the grave didn't win. But I have won victory over the grave. And it wasn't just that he was alive that Thomas was believing in. But it was everything that Christ was bringing. That forgiveness, that salvation, that eternal life that he was handing over as a gift to his disciples, that gift of the Holy Spirit to open their hearts and eyes to see the full purposes of this resurrection, to see the full purposes of what Christ was doing. And when that hit Thomas, it was a declaration of faith, a faith that was given by God to begin with, but a declaration of faith that again summarized everything that the disciples and everything that Mary had said before too, my Lord and my God. And so you, most of you listening, have never been in that position of Thomas, have never been in that position of the disciples, have never been in that position of Mary, trying to figure out whether or not the resurrection is a real thing, trying to figure out whether or not Jesus is Lord. Most of you, many of you, baptized as infants, even maybe in your youth, yet that rejection that we read about in the gospel is something that's never shaped your life. That hasn't been your identity because you have been wrapped in faith from way early on in life. Yet you still carry the sinful flesh that Thomas and the disciples and that Mary carried. You still wrestle with what it means to believe. Maybe you still wrestle with what the purposes are for this whole thing. What is the purpose for your life? What is the purpose for all of what God's words are? And we wrestle with those thoughts from time to time. Our doubts that make us wonder what all of this truly means. 
That's why I'm so thankful for John and his gospel. Because so many times we read portions of Scripture and we wonder, what does that detail have to do with anything? What does you know, this resurrection have to do with anything? What does that miracle have to do with anything? And John says, look, these things have been written down so that you would believe. So that you would see that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the sent one come to take away the sins of the world and that you would see that he is the Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, right? That he was there at the beginning, the word that was there at creation, the word that was with God and the word that was God, that nothing was made without him and that that word became flesh. Why? So that you would have eternal life. So that you would have the peace between creation and creator. So that you would have what God gives as a free and gracious gift. And maybe you've come into this church service because of some link from some person that you saw shared on Facebook and you've been wrestling with all of this. Not sure what it all means at all. Who Jesus is or what any of that may be. And to you, I would say this. These words have been preached so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the one who has died for your sins, the one who has risen again to bring you life and peace before God the Father so that you would have eternal life. And that's what we rest in, those promises. We rest in the promises that God has given, that he grants to us by faith to hold on to those promises that Christ is the Son of God, that he is resurrected, that he is the one who has won victory over death so that death and sin and Satan do not claim us anymore, but the peace of God which passes all understanding shapes our hearts and our minds in him so that we rest in all that he has done for us and the promise of life eternal, looking forward to the day that he comes back. In his name we pray. Amen. Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for all that you have done for us in Christ. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins which you have won for us in Christ. And we pray that as these days go on that you continually be present by your Spirit to point us to Jesus himself, the author of peace, the perfecter of that peace before you, knowing that we are forgiven. We pray that you send us. Send us to speak those words of forgiveness, however they need to be spoken, so that your word would be spoken where it needs to be heard. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen.